and I'm almost 10 minutes late, um, which I do customarily uh, to big time my guests, you know, to to get them in the proper mindset so they know that the VIP has arrived. So welcome, Kyle. Yeah, here he is. Here he yes. is. I'm, I have arrived. <laughs> I love it. Keep us on our toes, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's great to be talking with you on a Monday because Mondays are notoriously chaotic. There's a reason people take off Fridays. Like, oh, yeah. Fridays, like things don't break as often just because they don't have the will to anymore. They're just like, I might as well. I'll just hang on. But Mondays is where everything goes sideways. I, I don't want to ruin anything because I don't want to have to like log in later for some freak occurrence. But I actually had a very quiet Monday after a very busy weekend. So I was... Very thankful for how today went, but now that I say that, tomorrow's going to be trash. Oh yeah, it's like <laughs> you you have just flushed the rest of your week down the drain. Uh, exactly, I, exactly. I was just so in a meeting we where we were looking at some uh, new ideas for some dashboards we were trying, and uh, the idea is like, what if we made something that's just totally revolutionary, has a simple backend, allows for simple swapping of sheets, and is easy for anyone to deploy? And it's like. This is going to be really difficult <laughs> because when everything's simple, right. that means the it's it's really difficult for you, right? So yeah, yeah. If there is a there's like an inverse relationship, right? The simpler it is for the user, a lot of times the trickier it is to actually build. Yeah, so it's a it's a it's a catch twenty two, you know. Um, but you know, it's it's the more experience you get, the more the earlier on you recognize those things are able to sort of discuss them rather than like, yeah, I think we could do that. And then yeah, you it catches you like months down the road. It's like, what have I done? You what know, now I, I now I have to backpedal and find a way out of this quagmire that I've navigated my way into. Yep. Yep. So oh, you're right. Always good to have those conversations up front, at least. But we've definitely gotten into those spirals before too. Like, uh -huh, what are we what have we done? Why? <laughs> and we have to deliver something that we thought was going to be easy. <laughs> oh yeah, it's that's why I'm I'm well past the stage of my life where I I declare anything being easy even if it is. And if something is easy, I still sit on it slightly longer um than it takes just so people don't get the impression that that's how long it takes to do things. Because wise, you can wise. Cuz you can like inadvertently train clients like, "Oh man, like he can do stuff in an hour." And then it's like at that point, they expect like that's normal and that's typical for any project. Um, yep. Yep. My dad was a my dad was a carpenter growing up and his he would always say like, you know, over promise. No, under promise, over perform. So say it's going to take a week. Give yourself a week. But then if you get it done in three days, you could be like, ah, look at how great I am. <laughs> but set the expectations up front and, and you can exceed them. Oh, yeah. Uh, so. You and I, like, I think we talked a little bit online, but we really kind of hit it off this year at Tableau Conference. Like, we were rolling mm -hmm. with a lot of the same groups and kept crossing paths and everything. So I just had so much fun talking with you. I'm like, I have kind of podcast. So uh, it's... Man, I appreciate it. I really do. It's the closest thing I have to a social life. So now I'm, I, 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 I have, <laughs> it's I have just friends. It's scheduled social interactions. I get it. Well, I have friends, but they don't actually understand what I do. Like some of them do, but for the most part, they associate me with keychains and stickers, which probably <laughs> says a lot um, about sort of, I don't know, my hucksterism or I, I've got like a whole PT Barnum thing going on. But yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like I like swag because so much of what we make is intangible and indirect and ethereal and could accidentally be deleted someday if someone's having a really bad day. 
but it's like mm-hmm. swag lives forever or until the t-shirt wears out you know it's like that's why right, or it falls off the backpack where all mine are but yeah <laughs> yeah 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 i get it yeah, it's like I I want I want to bring some of this to real life. You know, I, I printed off some of my stuff professionally and you know put it on my wall. And it's like it it makes it more real to me because otherwise I forget that it exists. Like I've gone back and look at my tableau public before, and I'm just like, I don't even remember making some of these. Or I, I what this. was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's more that one for me, but same with me and my friends. My friends all know that, like, oh, he's like really into that tableau stuff, but then you throw in the data dev layer on top of that. And it's just like, don't worry about it. You're not actually interested. (laughs) Don't worry. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's honestly one of the things that fascinates uh, you about me the most is data dev, which is totally foreign to me. So like I've, I've seen a couple sessions about it and I've attended one of yours recently because I know you and Zach Geis are doing it. Although really you're the star of the show. Who's Zach Geis anyway. Right. Um, But (laughs) man speaks the truth. Zach, when you hear this, I was not me. (laughs) I, I got to throw some shade. I mean, we're both named Zach and uh, Zach. A few years ago, when we were at Tableau Conference, we were both invited to a data leader thing. And I'm convinced I got invited accidentally because like <laughs> I wasn't a Tableau ambassador. I was kind of a fairly new co-lead of a Tableau user group that had 20 members. And uh, they were doing sessions asking, so like, what kind of uh, tools do all of you have at your work for education? And every time they ask a question, Zach raised his hand and was like, come on, like, why? Like, how many Zacks are there in the world? You have to be the best one in this room. So um, I got to take my Zach. shot. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know me. I'm very open about it. I love to take shots at Zach. We love to pick on each other, but he is my boss. And I do always remind him that you are, I enjoy working for you, even though you treat me like garbage in public. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I mean, that, that that's how you know you have a good relationship, you know? Yes, yes definitely. <laughs> it's like, if you have a boss that can be that much of a Corella DeVille to you in public, and it's like, you both know that it's like a gag, like, I mean, I'm sure there are other people that take it literally because there always are like there. There are some people. Exactly. That, he's, yeah. Yeah. And he's really good about knowing who can and can't take that you know what i mean like and that's that's part of being a leader too you know who you can joke around with and who you can't so the people that he likes every call is just that all all, the whole time and i'm not that he likes i shouldn't say it that way the people that he has that relationship with but then when you know when you need to be professional you need to be professional it's you got to have a little levity in in a especially in a coe type role because you're just dealing with the most all the time every day (laughs) It's a lot of minutiae, right? Like it's, uh, it's so many details yeah, and, and so many, in your case, so many bodies and installs. And that's, that's the big thing for us is just so many users. And we're talking, I mean, we have users from people who picked up Tableau yesterday, um, you know, and they've maybe watched one video or none. And we have, uh, you know, our big heavy hitters that have been using Tableau since it's been at JPMC, you know, they're the ones that are ambassadors and I don't, uh, we don't have any other visionaries as of right now. Uh, but we have uh, like Will Perkins, uh, you know, we have a lot of big names, uh, power users that, you know, they, they know what they're doing, but then the other 99,000, we, you get some odd questions and it's you get very tired of answering the same thing like well just look at this confluence again because your question is right there <laughs> it's funny how you say ninety nine thousand because that's probably a legit number and that's bigger mm-hmm. than my company which 
most everyone would say, except for the fact that my company does have 91,000 employees. So like we're in the ballpark of total people there, but you're talking total users. So like, I mean, how much of the entire organization is on Tableau? I mean, I'm not telling tales outside of school, obviously. I'm not asking for secrets. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I think I, I think I can say without, you know, without anything real specific. So, I mean, Chase has, uh, JP Morgan Chase has somewhere around two, between 250 and 300, depending on what you count and what you don't, I guess. We have somewhere in the ballpark, and when Zach hears this, he's going to correct me. But last time I heard it, it was somewhere around 120 to 130 active users if we looked at like who's used it recently um all the way up to jamie diamond jamie diamond is an active tableau user so like that's the spread like i was saying people that wow. started using the tool yesterday all the way up to you know the ceo of like one of the largest banks in the entire world and we support everything <laughs> in between that that's really cool. I mean, that that you would have all stratas there because you have a lot of people that are totally non-native to data. They're uh, realizing that for their job, they've got access to something and they're curious and and want to try to make something. Or more realistically, their boss has said, I need this. Go make it. Like, ah. You know, they're, oh, yeah. they're picking up the tool for the first time. My journey, that's almost literally how my journey with Tableau started back in early 2018. My boss at the time, I was doing analytics and reporting just, you know, in Excel and SQL Server, other types of analytics that way. And my boss was like, you ever heard of this thing called Tableau? I'm like, I, I, I know what it is. But um, we had, uh, it, at, at that point, we were calling it the Tableau Academy internally, which was a self-paced, but module broken up and you'd get through a certain stage and you'd have a proctor session with two, uh, either people from the COE or um, other community leaders internally and say, here's what I've done. You have like, this is what you were supposed to learn by this level. Did you, use, like, you know, it was, for a lot of people, it was very nerve wracking, but that's the only way that I can self-teach something as if I have a bit of a structure and someone's like nagging me to, to hit certain milestones. So I actually didn't get as far through that as I would have liked to, but it opened up the relationships that I had with like Heather and then eventually Zach and some other folks in the COE. And when it came time for them to hire someone in Columbus, I was like, I am not qualified for this, but I'm going to apply anyway. And the rest is history. <laughs> you just never know. I think so much of like succeeding in fields like this, where it's a continuing a continual education process, you know, you don't learn it once and you're done. It's um, is you're not necessarily looking for people that have the skills now, but you're looking for people that are sort of uh, energetic, that like learning, um, that have proven in the past that they're they're dedicated to sort of growth and bettering themselves. And also that I mean, so much of it is that you're easy to work with. Um, because, mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to, uh, find people that, you know, if someone is difficult to work with, but is good at all that, it's going to have a hard time putting them into a team where you're expecting them to help build out others, you know? Yes. Yeah. And it's crucial. It, we recently, you know, I, I actually lead a team of three other software developers at this point. Um, and when we were going through the hiring process for one of them, we found a candidate that like on paper, you're everything we wanted. Every technical question we asked you, we wanted, or it was everything we wanted. But it was personality-wise, it's like, oh, you're such a dud. Like it's just, it was so hard to see. It was it was impossible to tell if you were passionate about anything at all. So it's like ultimately it came down to someone who seemed a little bit more ready to go get it and maybe, you know, learn along the way. So yeah, you're 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 on point. Those dynamics count a lot more than I think people 
think sometimes and even my own experience going into something saying like, oh, I'm not qualified for this, but maybe being a good fit for the team in that case is what pushed me over and Zach, for whatever reason, thinks I can learn things. I don't know. More further proof that he's imperfect. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> not you, not you getting on the train now. <laughs> I waited until you were drinking for that, too. Um, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's uh, I don't know. I find it interesting. So is data dev part of your job description? Like, how did that sort of fit in uh, to all of this? And also for those for those that are like either me and dumb or new, explain what data dev even means. Sure, sure, sure. So I'll start there. So um, in the Tableau world, in the data fam, I guess you could send it to really any tool, I guess. But uh, my our background is primarily Tableau. Data devs are the people who take what you build in Tableau Desktop or what you publish to Tableau Server and kind of say, okay, now what? Or there's, you know, we look at other issues that might or roadblocks that are involved in just getting data out there, whether it's a visualization or a data set or whatever, um, you know, when especially from the lens of a, of a huge financial institution, there's a very clear separation of duties, separation of environments, such that I, if I'm a Tableau developer, I have my, you know, my development environment, I make something, I might send it off to a small group of people in like a UAT environment that I can control and say, hey, is this good to go? But when it comes to production, I can't touch that. That, that should be something that is automated or it should be something that's restricted to a very limited group of people. It's all about, you know, audit trails and, and making sure things just aren't flowing back and forth inappropriately in a, in a production level environment. Um, one of the biggest part of my job is taking things like what we've taken when, with this tool that we've created called Tab Auto that automates deployments from lower environments, refreshes, adding or removing schedules, changing permissions, onboarding so onboarding was another big one so if you work at a big environment where you have you working you're working with things like active directory and then some sort of request system that puts people into active directory groups all of that is a nightmare um and our, our onboarding process we used to say out loud um you'll have your project in about a month that's about how long it would take. And we would say, here's a checklist of what you have to do. Here's a checklist of we'll, what we'll do. We'll check in, you know, between step three and seven or whatever. Um, we were just like, no, that's dumb. So we took, we automated all of it. So now someone just comes to our application, says, this is the project name I want. This is the server or the cluster or whatever that I want it on. Give us a little bit of information who should own it. And then within 15 minutes, they've got their project, they've got their AD groups, they've got it all, and they can get up and running. So I think in the highest level, that's a little bit of what a data dev in a in a role like mine at a at a large financial institution does. And to answer this, the other question is that's a hundred percent my role. Like I I honestly can't remember the last time I used Tableau at work, just because my my role involves so much of the the automation side of things and i'm also uh, i like i said i lead a team of three other engineers now so i end up doing a lot of devops things which is for people who may not know things that support software development so if my team needs access to something or if there's a change coming down the line that says 
this API is going to move or there's an upgrade to the product so that we need to recertify something. I'm just speaking generally, but those are the kinds of things that I tend to get in front of. So my team can focus more on the actual coding stuff, but I still about half of each sprint that I'm involved in still do coding. I want, that was one of the things I told Zach when I agreed to, to take on a team was that I don't want to stop coding completely. Um, but I've also found that it gives me more time and more excitement to do it outside of work. I've been playing, I find myself playing around a lot more with just things I'm curious about now that I'm not coding 100% at work. So I think that answers the question. Um, I, if you're, I, so. I will, shameless plug, because I'm, I'm on here. Um, uh, first one is tableau.com slash developers. Developer, excuse me. If you're interested in data dev, learning more about the possibilities, which really almost are endless, that's a great place to start. You can get a little free sandbox site. We encourage everybody to do it. And then the other one is the, the user group that I lead with Zach, which is the Tableau Coders um, initiative. You can find that on usergroups.tableau.com. And we start from the beginning. You we you can know not even know how to start to write code. And our very first episode walks you through how to set up an IDE. What is an API? You know those kinds of things. We're really enthusiastic about spreading the data dev love, getting more data devs out there. You can know less than Zach Bowders and do this. Like that's that's the pitch. <laughs> that's a that is a that is a bar. That is a, a bar. <laughs> that is a bar. But uh, it's uh, I love how you're you're getting ahead of me. Like this, I'm supposed to ask you to self promote at the end of the episode, but you're I know you're I'll well do it again. ahead of I'll this. do it again if you want. <laughs> oh, you will. You're gonna do this again. So so buckle okay. up. So that's coming. So you're gonna have to rattle all that off again because I'm not going to take the clip that you just said and replay it because that would all be right. too easy this is all this right. is all I'm, about I'm humbling you kyle <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> most things <laughs> you should be more humble <laughs> in this thing called life this is about taking you down a couple of pegs um, <laughs> you start feeling good no 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 <laughs> <laughs> speaking of uh connections i uh i recently was decorating my tableau development laptop ah, and tracks. i've got yes yep. <laughs> As I well as a couple of our friends down here, uh, Lindsay Betzendahl and Data Mark Bradborn, both have custom stickers of themselves. Uh, as oh, those are adorable. I didn't see those. I love the DataFam one. I have that one on my laptop as well, which I'm using right now, so I won't turn it around. That's a good call. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and I think I have your pins are on my other bag, which is out in the car, but I have your the Maverick and then the, uh, uh, not copy paste, what's it called? The, oh. the the oh my goodness the yellow the cassette tape drag why am drop. I forgetting drag and drop drag and drop yeah 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 so drag and drop uh, which I've 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 rebranded uh, go moving away from the dragon shaped logo and uh, doing the cassettes this year although I kept the dragon shaped logo as well and actually as you'll see I've got a new brand of it the glam rock dragon which is a shimmery uh, metallic Ooh. yeah so fancy because uh, yeah. Because if we don't make this awesome, then we're just nerds sitting in front of keyboards, which I already <laughs> was for most of my life. I mean, that's the exactly. thing. Like, I, I want everyone to appreciate, like, I started messing around with computers when I was a teenager. My family got our first computer when I was, like, halfway through high school. And, like, it was not cool. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. It was difficult to do anything. And, like, you know, I was the kid that, like, put a graphics card in my family's desktop without permission and stuff like that. I was I was doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> and now it's like I see, like, how every single kid is a master of technology. And I'm just like, 
You know, it's kind of like when Spider-Man caught on. I was like, I like this before you did. Come on. This was, my, you know, and it's not, you know, there, there's some resentment there. Yeah. I, I'm saying this is a therapy session. Like, like I like this when it wasn't <laughs> cool. Like, and now I'm behind the times and I'm an old back Daniel. In, back in my day. <laughs> exactly. I had to wait for dial up and then my aunt right. called. Right. And, or mom picked up the phone. Yeah, no, same. honestly, same though. I, my, I We got our first computer when I was maybe a little younger, I think I was like seventh grade, eighth grade. And, you know, there was the computer room, the one computer that the whole family used. Um, and I kind of the same thing I started, I'm, I'm just kind of naturally a tinkerer. So yeah. like, I'd be like, Oh, I want to learn how to make a web page. And like, you know, I'd be obsessed with it for a month or two, and then not do it. And then in high school, I was I was involved in like everything. So like, I still tinkered when I had when I would, you know, had some free time or when I was interested. But I think, honestly, that's what got me where I am. I mean, I went to school for I started off as a music education major, and then decided I don't want to be a music teacher because number one, teachers aren't treated great. And number two, hmm, should have thought about this earlier, but no music teacher I've ever known has been able to have a life outside of their job. So maybe let's reconsider that. I actually did, I started grad school um, to be a German teacher. My my degree has actually ended up being in German, uh, but life got in the way, you know, and that was, it was like, okay, maybe grad school's not right for me right now. Uh, and that's when I actually, when I started at Chase as a customer service representative in the call center. And then just throughout the years, I got a chance to tinker around more. They're like, oh, you want to learn how to do some fancy stuff in Excel? Uh, yeah, we all, everybody hates to admit it, but I think a lot of us in the data fam got started with Excel uh, just out of necessity. And then it was like, oh, I want to learn more. I want to learn more. And then ultimately you like, you learn the more you know, the better you know. And it just exploded from there. I'm fascinated by this commonality. I also started my tech career in the call center. Um, although mm -hmm. yours was not a tech career yet, but yeah, I was, uh, hired is, uh, after college, I was unemployed for six months with a master's degree and two bachelors. Um, and then I eventually started at a bank and that was disastrous because it was during the mortgage lending crisis and, uh, the firm I was with did housing development loans. So after a year of that, I got on with, uh, tech development for the call center for St. Jude. And I was called an assistant systems analyst, uh, but it wasn't really that. It was just like a made up title. But um, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> that's where uh, David Kelly, who you also met, who's a best friend of yeah. mine, uh, he and I both started there. Uh, he came on about a year after and our careers have sort of been like he and I just went for a walk today. Our careers have been intertwined ever since we've just sort of you know, been, been close friends and, you know, sort of grew together. Uh, but yeah, the call center was nuts. Um, it's really a pressure cooker to learn uh, tech in because if you make a mistake, it's the results are instantaneously obvious and directly hit the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so you were, you actually like taking calls or you were just doing, you were doing tech for the call center. So we were responsible for the software the agents used to make their calls. So ah, the yes, scripts yes. they so were receiving. So if you messed that up, yep. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, and you know, if you make a mistake uh, and you load something into production and you take people offline, they're counting the dollars, the minutes they're offline. Mm -hmm. uh, one time we had an agent that was uh, like a college student and they were learning SQL in, sc in school and they were practicing like using like notepad or something on their desktop. And they accidentally copied and pasted SQL into like the comments window. Um, uh, <laughs> and uh, it basically took down the entire system. It was like a SQL injection attack. Um, 
and all of a sudden everything accidentally a hacker <laughs> oh yeah like everything was broken nobody knew why and it's like they had to do like a system restore to bring everything back because they're like what did you guys do it's like we have not deployed anything like literally nothing has changed um yeah it's, it was fascinating we also uh you know you have like weird compliance issues like we had several visually impaired agents and the uh the the Basically, they were using BlackBaud software at the time, and the software was incompatible with JAWS, which was the screen reader that they were using. So instead of like reading out, you know, what the field was and then what the contents was, it would read off like the metadata behind it. And they told me and David, uh, you guys need to fix it. Um, we can't we're not going to buy a license for JAWS so you guys can test figured out. So we found a demo of a rival software product called Thunder which had a 30 minute free demo. We locked ourselves in an office for two weeks and every 30 minutes, he and I would uninstall Thunder, reinstall it. <laughs> it would go Thunder. And then we'd work for 30 minutes and then do it again. And it's like the whole and then time do it again. We're, we're testing our code in there and it's like reading off like first name, David, last name. <laughs> you know, it's like we're, we're, we're listening to that uh, and Thunder for weeks on end. It was like it just a, a recipe for madness. That was very um, Winamp. You remember the the uh, intro sound of Winamp? It really kicks the lava. That, that was what you gave me when you did that. Just that. When I worked in um, the call center for a while, I got to I got an opportunity to do um, UAT testing. So for the software that agents used for taking customer calls, right? And in the same room that I was in, the, there were people testing the the IVR, the you know automated system. And back then, we were still very new at like responding to voice commands. But it would be so hilarious because the, these testers would be screaming, like take their headsets off their head and just scream into the microphone, like balance, like zero, four, one, two, just like they sounded more like robots than the automated system. And you could tell that it was just not working at all. But it's like, I'm over here doing silent work and there's three people shouting at an automated system on the other side of the room. Oh man. It's like, see, those, those are the kind of work stories. Like I sort of, I feel bad for people that figure out what they want to do too early. Um, mm -hmm. Because like, yes. it's really great to have some jobs where you can tell war stories and talk about this was total crap. I mean, there was a time when I was just really, like, I was basically a developer for many years before I got into, um, you know, data and then obviously now i'm still a developer in many senses but for a lot of what i do now it's like the harder part of the job is the soft skills where you're like oh you know our lives would be much easier if we had a better relationship with this account and could communicate more easily you know it's like that's that's where i am now with this but it's like i was at a point where i'm, I'm in the at the call center i'm looking out the third floor window and i see there's a car wash across the street and i'm like that just seems like a way more satisfying job <laughs> i'm like <laughs> I, I could just just turn it off, scrubby, scrubby. Like you know? at the end of the day, I just walk away and I never have to think about any of those those people again. You know, it's like like yep. I clean the cars. I'll probably never see them again. Uh, like wow, that seems. I'm just like enviously, and they're looking at my building, thinking like, oh man, it's not 95 degrees in there. He sits at a right. desk in your cushy little desk job. Yep. But you you mentioned war stories. I still tell. I have a, a handful of them. Uh, favorite stories that I took as a manager when I was managing a team in the call center, because I mean, people are just wild. Just some of the things that were said to me as if it was going to offend me or like just the, the like 
okay, you're this angry because someone asked you for your address? What do you, how do you expect me to match you here? And then all the times that I laughed and I'm sure the customer heard me laugh at them, but it's just like, I don't know how else to react. <laughs> I don't know how to, how to match you here. Yeah, it's uh, working in customer service in any capacity is difficult. I spent six years at a swimming pool store and I was thinking about that recently because I was helping a friend troubleshoot their pool and I was talking about like, oh man, my favorite part of that, like I like to work in the water lab because I didn't have to talk to people. So it's like they would mm -hmm. bring me their water tests and like it was almost like cocktail or something like I'm mixing like I had the muscle memory so I didn't even have to look at anything. I'm like doing it. I'm shaking the thing. I plug it into here. I'm like, oh, you know, what's going on? With the pool? Oh, okay. You know, it's like and then like I just <laughs> hand them off and they're gone. And it's like I do like 500 of these a day. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it was so like working at the swimming pool store was so miserable because like everyone that is there is not there because they're having a good day. It's like coming to the DMV. They didn't come to the pool yeah. store because they're living in paradise. They came to the pool store because something is wrong with their pool. The pool already cost a fortune to make and whatever solution you have also costs even more money. And like, so yeah. you're, you're just there to deliver bad news. It's, it's like if you were a doctor and like you only had the highest risks, risk cases. So it's like, mm -hmm. you might be very good at this, but you're still going to lose most of these patients. And that's what is like, yeah, like, yeah, just, yeah. Or like a trauma nurse, same thing. I have, you know, or um, even like a NICU nurse. I, I, one of our one of our friends' moms is that, and just you know, she's always just burden, not burden, but you know that that's a hard. It's hard to constantly be dealing with that much anger or stress or whatever, whatever it is. It, it wears on you. I respect the hell out of people who could do it, but I I know that I I could never work customer service again because I would immediately say what I'm thinking. I, I've lost that filter in my life. <laughs> I uh I I am like I don't know how many people that know me well like I'm sort of very like I have a high level of sensitivity and I think I don't know whether that's just my disposition or whatever and uh you know my my youngest daughter did a week at the NICU and she was born and stuff so I was there and I'm seeing these other families that their babies have clearly been there for like months and she was only there for a week because when she was born like one of her lungs kind of popped like that can happen like the pressure mm. variants. And it healed in a week and it was kind of crazy, but like uh, working at St. Jude for like 13 years, like you really have to develop some like emotional armor because it's not like I was working in the hospital. I was in fundraising. I was across the street, but um, with our marketing packages and even just like mm -hmm. at events, they would like you would show up to a company event and every table has tissue boxes on it. And you're like, oh, you're going to show us sad videos. And yeah. it's like. You know, on one hand, it's like you're dealing with the true tragedies that are going on in people's lives. And like my niece is actually a St. Jude patient right now. Um, but ha having said that, like, um, like you also like have to recognize this is also emotional manipulation to some degree because you don't have to like like I'm here to make money. And it's like I'm not going to make money better if I go back to my desk feeling super depressed. Yeah, like it's, yeah. it's I'm going to do the exact same job. This is an office job like, uh, you know, but uh, yeah, it's 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 uh, you sort of had to adjust your your mindset. It's like, OK, I know what this is. I know I'm going to feel all this stuff, but also recognize that they're creating a situation where they're they're messing with my emotions, you know. <laughs> they might call it, uh, you know, motivation or, you know, get it connecting with the mission. But you're you're right. You're definitely right. Well, I mean, that's exactly what they called it, because it's like every decision was like um, was justified as it's for the kids. It's like, 
but I think this is yeah. a bad choice. It's like, but it's for the kids that it's like, so we just use that. To, it's like, you know, it'd be like if you work for uh, like Homeland Security and it's like, this is to protect America. And it's like, but everything yeah. you do yeah. is to protect America. Like, you know, <laughs> you could just just because like, you know, it's like that's that might be a heinous idea. And just because it's to protect America, could there be a less terrible version of that that also protects America? You know, like I had um, <laughs> I'm not going to name names, but I had someone that came to me when I was working there that was doing a fundraising campaign. It was like an online campaign. And she hadn't come up with like a business plan before beforehand, but somehow still got it approved. And it was for like a quarter million dollars. So she spends two hundred fifty thousand dollars. And comes to me, it's like, okay, so I need you to come up with some like, analytics that show that this did well. And I'm like, so what What kind of metrics are you measuring? Like, I don't know. And I'm like, so you just, like, I just need to look at this. And you just want me to make it up? <laughs> yeah, so, like, every conceivable metric I came up with made it look terrible. And she, pro like, at the time, like, at, I think eventually it ended up making $40,000. And I don't mean $40,000 profit. I mean making back $40,000. But at first, when she asked me to do that, it made like $14,000. So she, the reason she was asking wasn't to justify the fact that she did it once. She was wanting to do it again. And I'm just like, you just spent a Ferrari of the money we're trying to use to save children from cancer. And you know it did poorly. But because your job is to spend money, you would like to now do this again. Yeah, well. I I have nothing I can do that can help this look good. She's like, we'll just say it was for impressions. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, we could have started there. <laughs> we could have just started. Like, you could have just left me out of this. Like, I did. I didn't have to know. Like, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, I mean, we got this is just a sharing like wild requests. So. Again, no names, but this was actually just today at work. So one of the things we are in the middle, or we're not in the middle, we're starting our journey from all on-prem to Tableau Cloud stuff. And it's a lot, you know, there's a lot of subtle changes. There's a lot of not so subtle changes in terms of what we can do with like data from the repository, which has been a big, which has been on my mind for the last year. And one of the things that we didn't know about is there's a somewhat strict size limit on Tableau Cloud for individual items. Uh, I'm not gonna say it out loud because it might change. It could be changed for us, I don't know. Um, but one of the requests we got today is basically someone saying, well, I should request to be allowed to have an, a gig, uh, uh, an extract that's 600 gigabytes, but I'm only requesting 35. <laughs> and we're like, Okay, <laughs> like you're you're doing us a, a a favor. Is that is that how we're supposed to read this? It and it was just very like, well, if we did it the way we did it now, then it's this times this times this times this, and we're all just reading through this like, that's not how it works now. Like what you you <laughs> clearly came up with a defense for your ridiculous ask before you sent it. But you answered questions that nobody asked. And it was just just that example of like, why are you doing this? What you really trying to do? Tell me your real intentions. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's that that's my favorite thing, trying to dissect the real motivation behind what people ask for. Even like if you're strictly just a dashboard builder and someone says, I would like a dashboard that does this. You know, at the end of the day, particularly in previous jobs I used to work, so many times that dashboard existed only so someone else could show that they had a dashboard made so that they could check a box and then no one ever used it. 
And it was like mm -hmm. th there was no room to push back and say, you know, why do you need this? What does it really need to have on it? Who's going to use it? What's the return on investment? It was like, they said they need it. Go make it. And then you make it. It's like, okay, all right. My review's looking good. They're like, hey, you didn't actually do anything. I made a dashboard. Right. And that isn't, that isn't, you know, we, it's an unfortunate, I think, um, pitfall sometimes of being in a COE type environment, whether excellent, whether the E means excellence or enablement or whatever, wherever you are. Um, sometimes users say here, oh, we have a COE. They'll just do whatever I ask them or their job is to just do whatever I ask them. And we, we tend to push back a little more on not individual content. I wish we could, I wish we could get a little bit more involved with stuff like that. And we, we give users uh, opportunities to reach out. Like we have COE office hours and things like that, but the sheer volume, we, we really just can't get involved in most individual content. But when it comes to like things like server hygiene and what we will or won't automate, um, things of that nature, people will just come along and just be like, well, this is the, this, this is how we've always done it. I.e. this is the only way we can ever do it is the rest of that sentence when people say that. And we'll come back and say, well, you know, we have this alternative, this one, this one, and, and just people get offended almost when you, when you push back on them. It's like, well, that's why we're here. We're not just here to say yes to you. We're here to say, this is the right way to do it. And here's what we've done to try to help you along the way. They mistake the enablement for like, you know, when you're enable <laughs> enabling someone's bad habits, like, right, oh, I'm right. enabling your heroin <laughs> habit. Like I'm 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 right. giving you the money and letting you stay on my couch while you go score from your dealer. It's like, or alternatively, I come back and there's an intervention and they say, you don't need heroin. Right. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Perfect analogy there. <laughs> It's uh, a look. I, calling our, our... Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, I I did bring up crystal meth during my my Tableau conference presentation. Somehow, I don't remember how that came up in the context, but I only signed up for twenty minutes, and they gave me forty. So, who's that on really? <laughs> so, who really brought this on? Yeah, <laughs> look, looking at you, looking at you, Francois. <laughs> so you're welcome. No, I mean. <laughs> uh... <laughs> But yeah, it's like somehow eventually all my analogies seem to go back to hard drug use, which I've never done in any capacity. So that makes it even more interesting. Sure, 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 sure. That's what they all say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a center of excellence and enablement story for you. A place I worked once had a center of excellence and analytics. And the irony of it is that they were all sort of doctors and professorial types. They wore ties and none of them actually had access to or knew how to use any of the internal data. So they were led by someone that had previously been a fighter pilot. So when you think of fighter pilots and what you're looking at in a cockpit, you're imagining there's a bunch of stuff and it's pictorial, right? Like quick indicators mm -hmm. to tell you what's going on. So whenever they had to communicate data, what they did was just what a fighter pilot would do. They wrote a 40 page white paper. So <laughs> whenever they had an idea in data that they had to convey, first of all, it was internal data. They had to have someone provide it for them. Um, so they, they learned like R and they were like out there learning Python, but they never used this for internal things. They only used it for external market forces, which is what they were fascinated with. They didn't bother to learn the internal revenue stuff. So they would write these white papers, and then in three months or six months, if you needed an update, they had to go and write a brand new 40-page white paper. 
Oh Lord. <laughs> and it's painful like just thinking about. And also, these were these were not like white papers for other people that were professorial. These were being written for the C-suite, the people at the very top who have the least amount of time. It's like I think they they would love my purple prose about what's going on in the in Q4 of the economy right now, you know. Like um read the room guys. I don't I don't think they're having the effect you think you might be. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's uh I have a friend at Amazon and I've always heard that they have the, you know, they do the white paper thing and like the study hall because that's sort of what's been said. And while they did do that for a while they only do it at certain levels and i mean they're mm. even using powerpoint at corporate headquarters now because i mean different approaches are appropriate for different kinds of things you have to communicate yeah. i think assuming powerpoint is the right answer for everything is incorrect i think assuming tableau is the perfect data tool for everything is incorrect which is why it's good to you know expose yourself to different things uh see things yeah. on different ways that and that point that point is Often, you know, we hate to say it, but people will come to us as a Tableau COE with a use case or, you know, some really out of the box thing that they want to do. And it's just like, if this is really what you want to do, if these are really your requirements, Tableau is probably not right for you unless you also have like a full time developer, because you're, we're talking about things like extensions and uh, in very advanced embedding that like, yeah, we can coach you on but you have like you what you need is like a full-time employee dedicated to this and people are just like oh wow you know we didn't know and it's like okay well and then there are the people that are like well we're going to do it anyway like okay best of luck <laughs> yeah it's a similar story but off topic we're on a podcast so I was talking with an executive, an organization I worked at once, and she knew that I had tried to pitch a podcast as a way for us to communicate. Um, and I pitched it too soon because years later they decided it was a cool idea and then COVID hit and then they shuttered it entirely. But uh, the point being, I was the guy because I'd even had a like a, a pilot episode made and, was, you know, there was buzz, uh, but not enough to actually make it happen. So she came to me and said, our CEO would really like for us to do like an internal podcast where every week he talks to everyone and everyone hears his thoughts. And I'm like, but he already does those like video addresses. And also what's an internal podcast? She's like, you know, so only people here can access it. I'm like, so it's like stuck on a web page. Like, so it's, it's just like the, the video thing. So like, first of yeah. all, the idea behind a podcast is that this is something people are going to listen to voluntarily. And like not something that they're being like subjected to. But beyond that, if it's internal, it's no different from his video thing because it's just chained to the corporate website. And I'm like, right, exactly. I, I don't think there's a way to do this. And she's like, but I but I have to. He said we have to. I'm like, I can't, I can't help you here. And then it didn't happen because it's not a thing that exists. Like, right, right. Like people you listen to a podcast when you're driving or mowing the lawn or running or, you know, whatever you're doing, like I'm. I I can't I wish I could I can't listen to podcasts while I work because there's something about human voices like must listen um I can listen to music all day long but if it's a podcast but yeah to your point like when most people when they're logged into their corporate network they're working if they're listening to something they don't want to listen to just audio of their boss or their someone from their c-suite talking to them like that's it's not really the point of a podcast, is it? <laughs> now that you're saying that, it's like super 1984. It's like, I want to be in their heads. Like, they're here. I, they're, they're, my voice should be the one that they hear as soon as they log in. Yes. 
<laughs> I mean, okay. So not apropos of nothing. He did once take a Jesus picture as a staff photo. So um, we were at our, our <laughs> we were at our annual meeting, and uh, he had us all turn on our phones, lights, and hold them up like we're at a concert. He's like, we're gonna do a staff photo, and he just kind of puts his arms out, and it's like we're like, okay, we don't know where the picture is being taken from. The picture that is shared later is from over his shoulders of him in like full Christ pose, and just oh, the no. light coming off of us bathing him. And it's like, wow. So that's how wow, you that's see creepy. this. Okay, you gotcha. <laughs> Hmm, what an opinion you have of yourself. Uh, you just remind me, quick aside, only related in the weirdest way. Uh, have you ever heard, have you ever heard of Touchdown Jesus in Cincinnati? No. Story? No. So it was this, this, this mega church called Solid Rock Church outside of Cincinnati. And they had this big, giant, like, plaster, I don't know exactly what, it, very cheap, very cheaply made, like, Jesus doing the whole arms out of the water uh, thing in front of their church. I mean, this seems massive, like probably a hundred feet tall. Wow. Giant. It got struck by lightning <laughs> and burned to the ground. Like <laughs> every, That was like the talk of the town back when I was high school. It's like, did you hear touchdown? Jesus got struck by lightning. <laughs> That's God. Like, don't, don't, don't. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> like I gave you, like you have a whole other symbol you can use. Like just, you just, <laughs> It wasn't broken. <laughs> right. And there's isn't there like something in there about like false idols and stuff like that? Like, I don't think he wanted there to be 200 feet tall statue. But, you know, that's I can top this. I can top this. I can top this. There is a, there is a, a like a, a, a mega church in town here called World Overcomers. Um, they had they'd sort of they they rose up by taking over another church. So the, this church uh, had moved out of this building. It was a fairly large central building and they had moved like further east or whatever. And World Overcomers moved in. And I hadn't seen like the campus in a couple of years because I hadn't like driven down. Like my wife used to live over there back when she was living with her mom. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't been that part of town in a while. And uh, my wife is like, have you driven down Kirby lately? I'm like, no. And she's like, you need to drive down Kirby. I'm like, why? why? <laughs> she's like, you'll know. And like I'm driving and I'm talking <laughs> to her on the phone, like, and I'm like, oh, is it that this thing up? She's like, no, you'll know it when you see it. And like I crest the hill and I'm like, holy crap. And it's like, it's like a 75 foot statue of liberty holding a cross erect. And it's like, oh. it's just the tackiest, uh, like the tackiest interpretation of anything. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? What? You know, it was just like, you're just sometimes when you see something, you're more shocked by the how did it get this far? Like no, no one, one there was no, no man right. in the room. Like, I think we need like, let's do like a Statue of Liberty. And like, like, look, that's that's why I have Lindsay Betzendahl in my posse or she would say I'm in hers, whichever. It doesn't matter. It's because we both bust each other's chops enough to know that we're not going to accidentally end up making like a statue of Liberty Jesus. Like right. it's not going to happen because someone's like, you have at least one person that will pull you back. <laughs> so yes. You got to have those. People. You, you need, you need that no man in your posse. That's going to be like, bro, yes. bro, bro, everybody. No, I love that. That life advice. You need a no man in your posse. You need like, you're someone not gonna like gonna it. Like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> It's it's like I have a I want I I wanted to ask you if I if I may tell the story of our, my favorite of our conversations from TC and I have a little bit of an update. Are you okay. are you yes. okay with that? You, you can tell okay. the story because it is hilarious and it shows how guileless I am. Yeah. 
<laughs> so we were actually walking back. I think as we were walking back from Secret Pizza after day two or three, whichever night it was. Um, and Zach and I had, had talked a little bit um, in passing, but this was, we just ended up right next to each other. And we started to have a more extended one-on-one -on -one conversation. And I don't even remember what I said. I must have said something about my partner, Dan. And so Zach just took a second and just kind of looked at me. He's like, oh, so you're gay. I'm like, yeah, I am. You know, but that was it. You know, I'm not, whatever. Um, and I could kind of see some wheels turning. And then I see Zach turn to me and goes, I have a question for you. And I'm like, oh, brother. <laughs> like, Here it comes. And so Zach looks very seriously. He meant it. He really wanted the answer. This was earnest. I need I, to know. I, he needed to know. Am I a bear? <laughs> to which I just kind of lost it. It was just so funny. The, the <laughs> sincerity and the the knowing that it was just coming from genuine curiosity just kind of took me off guard. I got such a good chuckle out of it. Um, look, and you, then you we, know it's coming from a pure heart and total innocence because I'm like, look, man, I got to know. I need to know. I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> and so then we were all kind of joking about that. And um, Lawrence Durbin and I got in a conversation about we need to make a viz for this. And we we were like, we can have parameters for the weight, height, you know, hairiness level, where are you hairy, all that kind of stuff, so that we can explain are you a bear? Are you an otter? Are you a wolf? Because there's lots and it's confusing. There are it's wolves. okay to be confused. There are wolves. You cover yeah. the whole gamut of mammals. We really do. Um, and Lawrence and I are actually meeting tomorrow to discuss this collaboration. So it's been, it's been a bit of a delay, but it may happen. <laughs> okay, this brings me great joy. Finally, I'll know and then I'll be at peace. That's all there I'm you asking. Go. <laughs> and I was already telling Lawrence, I was like, I'll probably have to data dev it up a little bit and like at maybe make an extension where you can like save a little avatar of what you've made. You know, you got to get can't just be a dashboard with me. No, I no, no. do something with it. <laughs> it. It's, I mean, look, you've got like a full-on character creation system here. Like, there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah. The sky's the limit. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, watch out, um, Bethesda. Here we come. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, it's got to be better than Elden Ring. Like, I've been playing Elden Ring, which seems to me is just like a misery simulator. And it's like their character customization options are basically, you can pick your class, and then it's like, type one or two and i'm like this is the most boring character creation i've ever participated in you're gonna get so much hate for this because every time i mention that i couldn't get into elden ring or any of the dark souls games and like you said misery simulation like most of the time when i sit down at the end of a day or a, a day off whatever and i want to play some if i want to play a video game it's mostly i want to do something a little bit fun like I, I, there can be a challenge but I don't want to sit there and die 50 times for an hour at, at this unpassable spot. Like, that's just not what I do. I get I get that it's for people uh, or for certain people, but I'm with you. Like, I tried to play Elden Ring twice. Each time I made it about two hours. The second time I forced myself to stay on a little bit longer. And I was just like, I, it's just not for me. It's not going to happen. I'm trying to force something that's not going to work. I, I'm with you, actually. Like, I've put in more time, but it was one of those things where I kept trying to convince myself that I liked it. 
I'm like, no, no, <laughs> dying's part of the play cycle. Like that's intended. And it's like, but does that mean I have to like it? Like, yeah, I, right, exactly. I get that. It, Is this fun? Am I having fun? <laughs> it's not fun. And then like I went and bought the new Zelda. Like my oldest daughter was in the last one. So we got the new one and we're playing the new Zelda and it's spectacular. And I'm having it's the so best time. Everything I do is the most fun thing. And I'm like, oh, it's like if Elden Ring were enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> I was just telling some, I'm also currently focusing mostly on the new Zelda. Um, but I was just telling friends over the weekend, I held out a really long time on Breath of the Wild on the last one. So I've essentially been playing Zelda for like a year straight at this point. I'm like, I might be looking for a break. And I was talking to one of my friends over the weekend, uh, the same group of friends over the weekend that was like, you know, you should really try Fortnite. It's really it's like, it's much better than it used to be. And this, that, and it's easier to get into. And I tried it and I, I just can't do that either. I, I don't know what it is about me. Like, I don't like online gaming with other people. I, no. I just, because again, I, usually when I sit down to game, I don't want to be around other people. That's the point. <laughs> so then you get online and, you know, I always turn voice chat. I don't want to hear a 12-year-old call me a slur. I don't need any of that. But And they're like, really good at it. Like, they know ones yeah. that you don't even know. So it's like, right. <laughs> I mean, I played, like, Halo back in the early 2000s. Like, you wouldn't believe it. And now it's like, they've just taken it to a whole new level. Right, right. So, yeah, online, not really my thing. I'll stick with my Zeldas. I do... I have to buy an Xbox now before September because of Starfield. That's the next big one for me. So I've got to get through Tears of the or Tears of the Kingdom before September. I am a huge Bethesda fan, unapologetic Bethesda fan. I've played all of the other, well, not all of them. I've played most of the Elder Scroll games, all of the uh the Fallout games. Yeah, just that's my jam. Put me in a big world by myself and let me loot all the boxes that's all i want <laughs> i think you'll really enjoy the modern xbox game pass experience we've gone way off the rails people but you're if you're still listening that's on you like so i don't care um but yeah it's uh, a <laughs> game pass has really changed things up and the fact that you know you're buying a console you know obviously to get the capacity to play something but you now it's you don't have to treat every game like I don't know if I really want to buy this am i going to buy it i'm not going to mm -hmm. like it it's the ability to sample things is so much easier now um and yeah it's the fact that even games like that are included in Game Pass from day one. So if you sign up, uh, you can play all of the coolest games as they come out. And it's a subscription model like Netflix. Yeah, yeah, I think I'll, I will definitely check it out. I've heard good things. I've, I'm not crazy about the way that PlayStation does it, but it it's fine. It's fine. And as you said, we got off the rails, but were we ever actually talking about anything? <laughs> no, 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 no. So that's that's par for the course, honestly, with the podcast. I mean, that's that's the thing. Like each episode is going to veer dramatically depending on my state and whoever the guest is. And I honestly, this is a lot like the conversations we had at the conference. So I'm mm -hmm. I'm enjoying the freewheeling nature of it. We've talked data dev. Uh, we have talked about uh, war stories at work. We have talked about my questionable bear status. Um, you know, it's looking we'll quite nice to know. We'll know soon. We'll know soon. Like si science will lead us to an answer here because <laughs> yeah. I I've been in limbo far too long. I'm Schrodinger's bear. Like, am I? <laughs> Schrodinger. Is that the episode title? I think that might be. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> 
Oh, man, you're killing me. Okay, okay, okay. So we're coming to a reasonable stopping point now. So I'm going to (laughs) ask you this. Repeat all of the stuff you said before about where (laughs) to go do things. Yes. All right. So I am. I'm going to have three plugs. First, I would love it if you would hit me up on Twitter at up in your business. Um, I love to talk to new people, especially about day to dev related things. So moving into day to dev, um, tableau.com slash developer. If you're even remotely interested in the world of data dev, that's where you start. You can get a fully functional little sandbox site to play around with all the APIs and everything just fully featured. And then Third, um, I want to plug the user group that I run with Zach Geist, which is the Tableau user, or excuse me, Tableau Coders Initiative. Um, you can find that on usergroups.tableau.com. Um, we are also on YouTube uh, under Tableau Coders, and we have all of our episodes starting from the very beginning, where we will teach you literally what, sh- where should I start if I want to write my first line of code. So hope some of you will join us there. Reach out to me. I'm happy to talk about this stuff online or offline. Um, but yeah, and Zach, I want to say thank you for having me on here. This has been great. I kind of knew this is how this conversation was going to go, and I've been looking forward to it all week. So it's been great talking to you. It's been fun for me, too. I am going to very rarely drop a promotion of my own, and that is if you like this pod, I am pulling out of my standard support platform. So I am currently on KO-FI, but that costs $5 a month, and I barely get that in support now. Thank you for those that support me, however. So I'm actually switching over to using the one that's native to this podcast platform on Spotify. If you would like to support this podcast monthly, you can give anywhere from $1 to $5 to $10. not going to tell you what to do or to do it at all. But if you find uh, the podcast page, which is so easy to find at the extremely long podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash data plus love, which will be in the show notes every week. Um, There are links to both support this podcast, which is where you could sign up to give a monthly gift or send a voice message. We would love more voice messages. If you send them, I'll put them in the show, even if they're to, you know, I don't know, say that I've made bad life choices or I shouldn't have given you (laughs) access to the voice message link. Kyle's thinking about it now. So I'll include those in the the show notes. I'm crafting it. I may even include Kyle's links in the show notes. And thank you for listening this long.